Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. Today we're going to recap two really important meetings that happened at the UN Security Council about an issue that we've covered extensively at the Gray Zone and that I think is one of the most overlooked stories of this century. And that is the OPCW's Syria cover-up scandal, where investigators who went to Syria to a town called Douma in April 2018 to investigate allegations of a chemical weapons attack against the Syrian government claimed that their investigation was censored under U.S. pressure, that they found evidence that the that this alleged chemical incident in Douma was staged by militants on the ground, uh, but that the evidence that they collected was suppressed and kept from the public. And the consequence of the censorship was to help justify airstrikes on Syria by the U.S., Britain, and France that same month in April 2018 because they bombed Syria based on this allegation that a chemical attack had occurred in Douma. So we've covered this extensively. The Western media across the spectrum has mostly ignored it with only a few exceptions. And the OPCW and the US, Britain and France have done everything they can to silence these whistleblowers, these veteran OPCW inspectors who went to Syria, conducted the investigation, wrote up a report and had their evidence suppressed. So the latest phase of this uh, was two meetings of the UN Security Council where the Syria chemical weapons issue was on the agenda. And we had one meeting where Russia and China summoned several witnesses, including myself, because I've covered this extensively, but also Ian Henderson, who was one of the veteran OPCW inspectors whose testimony was silenced. A week later, there was another UN Security Council meeting uh, with Russia presiding in the presidency chair. And so Russia invited Jose Bustani, who was the OPCW's first director general, who was ousted from his position in 2002 after he stood in the way of the Bush administration's drive to invade Iraq. And what happened at both of these meetings is quite instructive. First, let's talk about the most recent one with Jose Bustani. So this is a distinguished veteran diplomat, the OPCW's first leader, whose ouster from the organization is very controversial because he was challenging the Bush administration's drive to invade Iraq by trying to facilitate some inspections and uh, bring Iraq into the OPCW under the Chemical Weapons Convention. And so he was ousted. And he was, in fact, personally threatened by John Bolton, who was working for the Bush administration at the time. And so Bustani has spoken out before in support of these new OPCW whistleblowers, the, the ones in Syria. And he's even heard a briefing from one of them. He heard this as part of a panel that took place in 2019. And Bustani, after hearing all the evidence, hearing all the concerns raised by this whistleblower, said that he was very disturbed and has endorsed calls, along with people like Noam Chomsky, for the OPCW to let these inspectors air the evidence that was suppressed in a transparent, scientific manner. A very basic demand, but the U.S., Britain, and France have helped lead efforts to basically ignore the OPCW whistleblowers. And that came to a head when Bustani was summoned at the UN Security Council to testify, and the same governments, the U.S., Britain, and France, blocked his testimony. They would not let him speak at the UN Security Council. So let's start with a clip of UK Ambassador Jonathan Allen. He spoke out after Russia proposed Jose Bustani on the agenda. Ambassador Allen of the UK spoke about why he thought Bustani is not appropriate. While we agree that the presidency should have space proposed propose briefers, these must be relevant and knowledgeable to the topic under discussion. Unfortunately, this is not the case of one of today's briefers. Mr. Bustani is a distinguished diplomat, but given his departure from the OPCW many years before it considered the Syria chemical weapons file, he is not in a position to provide relevant knowledge or information on implementation of Resolution 2118, unlike, for example, the current Director General of the OPCW. 
We would therefore request the presidency to put its proposed briefer to a procedural vote. Thank you. So that was UK ambassador to the UN, Jonathan Allen, claiming that Jose Bustani, the OPCW's first director general, is not an appropriate speaker at a meeting on the OPCW where allegations of political exploitation and compromise of the OPCW are being discussed. Well, not only is Jose Bustani very qualified to discuss the OPCW because he was the organization's first director general, but he's especially qualified to discuss this issue on the agenda because he was personally targeted uh, with political exploitation by the U.S. government to justify a pro-war narrative. Exactly the case today when it comes to this Syria controversy. So just think of the symbolism here. 18 years ago, Jose Bustani stands in the way of the Bush administration's drive to invade Iraq. John Bolton threatens him, literally tells him, we know where your kids live. Uh, the U.S. engineers his ouster. There's a vote. The U.S. puts heavy pressure on member states to vote out Bustani. They're successful. Then Bustani, 18 years later, 18 years later, comes back to voice concerns about a new case of political exploitation of the OPCW, this time to justify a U.S. military uh, campaign in Syria. And the U.S. and its allies once again try to silence him. And they were successful because there was a vote after Ambassador Allen's remarks and the U.S. succeeded. What is all the more poignant here is the fact that John Bolton threatened Bustani in 2002. And fast forward to now, and Bustani is trying to talk about a deception in Syria that happened under John Bolton's watch. When John Bolton took the job as Trump's national security advisor, literally his first day on the job was managing the Trump administration's response to this allegation of a chemical weapons attack in Douma, Syria. And Bolton writes in his memoir that came out recently that his only regret about that incident is that Trump didn't authorize an even more expansive military strike on Syria, which Bolton really wanted to do. So just the symbolism of Bolton and Bustani once again being on opposing sides, and once again Bolton's government, even though Bolton now has since departed from the Trump administration, Bolton's government has tried to silence Bustani once again. Bustani, however, will not be completely silenced because he recorded his remarks that he planned to give to the UN Security Council. And the Gray Zone obtained those remarks and we've published them in full, which we'll link to below. But let's go to a short clip now of what Bustani said, urging the OPCW to listen to its own inspectors and let them air the evidence that was suppressed. At great risk to themselves, they have dared to speak out against possible regular behavior in your organization. And it is without doubt in your, in the organizations, and in the world's interest that you hear them out. If the OPCW is confident in the robustness of its scientific work on Duma and in the integrity of the investigation, then it should have little to fear in hearing out its inspectors. If, however, the claims of evidence suppression, selective use of data, and exclusion of key investigators, among other allegations, are not unfounded, then it's even more imperative that the issue be dealt with openly and urgently. So that was the suppressed testimony of Jose Bustani, which the US, France, and UK blocked him from delivering at the UN, but he still recorded. If you want to watch it in full, go to thegrayzone.com. We'll also link to it below. And the fact that the U.S. and its allies were not willing to let Bustani speak, I think, as Caitlin Johnstone, who is a writer, pointed out on Twitter, I think that says more than Bustani ever could. The fact that they were not willing to even let him speak at a U.N. Security Council session, this veteran diplomat who headed the organization under discussion, the OPCW, says it all. And that kind of censorship is what has guided this story to date. From the very start, the OPCW inspectors who went to Syria, their evidence was censored. After all this came out, the media has completely censored this story across the spectrum. The only mention of it even close to the mainstream 
came in an article that I wrote for The Nation magazine in July. Uh, there's also been some discussion of it in the British press. But aside from that, the Western media has pretty much ignored the story, which is just hugely significant because what we have here is the Iraq WMD scandal, except with whistleblowers. Whistleblowers are claiming that they found evidence that there was not a chemical attack by the Syrian government, but that that evidence was suppressed. And yet media across the spectrum, including progressive adversarial outlets, are ignoring this story. And they're still ignoring the story now, even though the Trump administration just blocked a veteran diplomat from speaking at the UN. So we'll turn now to a UN Security Council session that happened the week before Bustani's suppressed appearance. And that was a session that featured Ian Henderson, who was one of the OPCW inspectors whose evidence was suppressed. I also spoke at this session because I've covered the story. So I was invited by Russia and China who convened the meeting. And Ted Postel, who is a MIT professor emeritus uh, and former Pentagon advisor, award-winning scientist, he also spoke as well. But I wanna focus today on Ian Henderson because he was there, he was in Syria and he conducted the investigation. And the way he was treated, just like the way Bustani was treated, is also very instructive. So we'll start with Ian Henderson's remarks where at the very top, he made a request, possibly anticipating what Western diplomats would say to try to ignore him. He made a, a request that he not be accused of being a part of anyone's disinformation campaign, that he wanted people to judge him based on the facts that he delivers and on the merits. And that was a very prescient warning because as we'll see later on, the Western diplomats did not heed it at all and proceeded to insult Henderson and ignore him. Um, I'm here again at the request of some uh, delegations who uh, requested that I provide my personal experiences as an OPCW inspector. Um, I'll briefly clarify uh, my situation, what I can do and uh, can't do. Um, I'm attending in my individual capacity as a scientist and a former OPCW inspection team leader with uh, 12 years of service. Uh, and I, I, I would like to stress uh, impartial and committed service, uh, which was recognized. Um, I, I have one request uh, for uh, everyone attending today is to uh, please kindly refrain <clears throat> from any suggestion um, that my role is part of anyone's disinformation campaign. So that's Ian Henderson. And just remember what he says there about asking people not to accuse him, asking the assembled delegates not to accuse him of being a part of a disinformation campaign because that is exactly what several Western delegates went on to do because very critically, they don't wanna challenge him on the facts, which we will get to. It's worth noting that Ian Henderson is not alone. There is another inspector who challenged the censorship from within. This inspector is not being publicly identified, but uh, he's referred to as Inspector B. And he's actually more central to all of this than Ian Henderson because Inspector B authored the initial report from the Duma team, which reached a very different conclusion than the one that was given to the public. Because what happened was OPCW superiors took Inspector B's report, radically altered it to reach conclusions that Inspector B's original report had not made. And Ian Henderson goes on to ask the assembled delegates to support his call along with Inspector B for a transparent scientific inquiry. Let the inspectors, Ian Henderson, Inspector B, and all the others who were in Duma, because they also were excluded from the final process that led to the OPCW's public report, let all of them present the evidence in a transparent manner. And he asked the delegates whether they have the political courage to make that happen. I speak for myself, but I know there are other Duma FFM inspectors who hold the similar concerns that I do about the, um, the manner in which the investigation was, uh, was, was controlled, locked down. 
and uh, the findings reflected in the final FFM report. Uh, we believe that there is more than sufficient information um, out there today that has demonstrated our point that the findings reflected in the FFM report on Duma uh, may not reflect the actual situation. But I'm not imploring you to believe me, to implore uh, you to believe us. Uh, that, that is not science. Um, all we are saying is that surely there is sufficient information, facts uh, out there today <clears throat> that would justify a transparent technical inquiry um, aimed at clarifying what actually happened in Duma on 7 April 2018. And this needs to be done in a way that demonstrates uh, scientific rigor and integrity because um, that currently uh, has, has not been done. However, the, the, the lockdown on Duma remains, how, how can I say, impenetrable. Uh, our hope, therefore, remains that there's someone with the scientific discipline and integrity to recognize that something may have gone amiss with the Duma investigation and report. Perhaps more importantly, um, we continue to hope that there's someone who's willing and able, someone who has the courage to do something about this. If and when that happens, we are ready to provide the impartial inputs of uh, scientists and engineers and to have the, the facts and the findings assessed on their merits. So that's Ian Henderson, OPCW inspector, former OPCW inspector, imploring the assembled delegates to support a transparent scientific inquiry at the OPCW. Let the OPCW inspectors who went to Duma, who went to Syria, let them air the evidence that was suppressed. And he asked them if anybody has the courage to support them. And he's referring specifically to the parties of the states that bombed Syria based on the Duma allegation, the US, France, and Britain, or any of their allies, because the OPCW has become very politicized. And part of the allegation here is that the US actually directly pressured the OPCW to go along with its narrative. We know this now from one of the uh, inspectors who has leaked information and has previously been reported by Jonathan Steele, the veteran British correspondent, uh, that the U.S. government sent a delegation to the OPCW while it was drafting its interim report. And after Inspector B had protested the censorship of his original report, and this delegation basically told the OPCW what to say. They said that uh, a chlorine attack had occurred in Syria, and they encourage the OPCW team to reach that conclusion, which is an unprecedented act of pressure. That does not happen where you have a member state coming into the OPCW and telling a team what to say. And also, by the way, it also puts the OPCW inspectors at risk because you're not supposed to have member states coming in and even knowing who these inspectors are. So this was, according to some of the inspectors who were there, an act of intimidation. Now, note that Ian Henderson, in his remarks, asked whether any of these states will have the courage to allow for the OPCW inspectors to be heard, to have a transparent inquiry. He said, we continue to hope that there's someone who is willing and able, someone who has the courage to do something about this. Well, as the comments from the Western ambassadors put on vivid display, there is no such courage to be had, at least at this point, from them. And in fact, what was remarkable is if you listen to all the uh, uh, ambassadors from the US, from the UK, from France, from Germany, from Canada, and so on, every member state that is allied with the US pretty much ignored Ian Henderson 
ignored what he had to say and tried to change the subject to other issues, other allegations of chemical attacks. They brought up the, the alleged poisoning of Alexei Navalny, the Skripals in London, anything to avoid the issue at hand, which is that you have OPCW inspectors saying that their investigation in Duma was compromised and they want the chance to be able to air the evidence that was suppressed. But you'll see none of the ambassadors took this up and instead tried to change the subject and tried to accuse anyone who raised the Duma issue as spreading disinformation. So let's start with Ambassador Kelly Craft of the U.S. who called the gathering a stunt. Let's recognize today's demonstration for what it is, a stunt. The question we must ask ourselves is, why is Russia so eager to protect a regime that has repeatedly used chemical weapons against its own people? What are we seeing here today is another desperate and failed attempt by Russia to spread further disinformation, attack the professional work of the OPCW, and distract I'm an American the ongoing... Citizen. I'll be happy to talk with you privately. You should answer my letters. I'm an American citizen. I... Mr. Chair, are you going to take control? Uh, Kelly, please continue. Mr. Postal, we will give you time to, to react to it. Kelly, please continue. Thanks, Vasily. What we are seeing here today is another desperate and failed attempt by Russia to spread disinformation, attack the professional work of the OPCW, and distract from an ongoing effort by responsible nations to hold the Assad regime accountable for its use of chemical weapons and numerous other atrocities. We have seen this performance before. It is getting old and it does not work. So that is the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Kelly Kraft. Note what she says there. And by the way, note also that interruption was from Ted Postal, who was one of the briefers who interrupted her in frustration and uh, implored her to answer letters that he has written protesting the censorship of the OPCW's evidence. And Postal has also done studies on other alleged incidents of chemical weapons use in Syria in Ghouta in 2013 and also in Khan Sheikhoun which he spoke about at this meeting. But note what she said there about how uh, this meeting is an attempt to, quote, further spread disinformation and attack the professional work of the OPCW. This is a theme that many Western diplomats repeated. And it's interesting because the whole point of the meeting is to defend the OPCW, defend the inspectors who actually did the OPCW's investigation in Syria, uh, defend the OPCW from being politically exploited, from being pressured by the U.S., as the OPCW whistleblowers have reported. So it's interesting to note there to see the U.S. ambassador accuse her perceived opponents of doing what I think exactly the U.S. government and the OPCW leadership are doing, which is denigrating the OPCW's own work, its own inspectors. Then we get to the French ambassador, uh, Nicolas de Riviere, and he also did not address Duma, and he tried to, again, um, invoke diff different incidents, and he invoked the alleged Ghouta attack of August 2013. So this is uh, a clip of Nicolas de Riviere, the French ambassador to the UN. I just regret that today's meeting is reduced to a disinformation exercise. Let me first of all recall the obvious. At the root of today's discussion is a very simple and plain fact that the Syrian regime in August 2013 gassed 1,300 men, women, and children to strengthen its military hand. And this is not disputed by anyone. Well, actually, the Ghouta allegation is disputed. And before I explain briefly why, let me just say that it's unfortunate that I even have to enter into a discussion about Ghouta or Kanche Kun or any other alleged incident because the focus of this session is Duma, a investigation from the OPCW. And even if all the other allegations that these ambassadors make about Syria and Russia were correct, even if they were true, that would not have any bearing on what these OPCW inve investigators are saying. They're saying that their investigation was censored and we have a trove of leaks 
that corroborate this that have been put out by WikiLeaks that we've reported on at the gray zone. So it's just curious that all these other issues are addressed, but not the central issue here itself, which is Duma. But look, on the question of Guta, don't want to get too into it because I want to keep the focus on Duma. But when he says that this is not in dispute, that's just totally false. James Clapper, we now know, uh, went to Obama when all this happened and said to him that the intelligence here is not a slam dunk. And he chose his words very carefully because slam dunk was, of course, the infamous term used by George Tenet when he told George W. Bush in the run up to the Iraq war that the intelligence on Saddam Hussein having WMDs was a slam dunk. So here was James Clapper giving a very clear warning to Obama that there was a risk of a repeat here. And public reporting that has come out backs this up. Seymour Hersh in the, in the London Review of Books has reported that U.S. intelligence concluded that al-Qaeda in Syria had sarin, that Porter Down, the, Br the British military medical uh, laboratory, had concluded that the uh, sarin stockpile associated with the Syrian government was not the sarin found in Ghouta. Uh, there were people arrested in Turkey, members of al-Qaeda, for having sarin, uh, whistleblowers, from the Turkish government said that investigation of uh, sarin possession, th that there was an investigation being done of sarin possession by members of Al-Qaeda. Uh, U.S. intelligence had concluded that Turkey was trying to actually uh, force some sort of event that would trigger the red line in Syria that Obama had laid down, where he said that chemical weapons use would trigger his red line and that U.S. intelligence had privately concluded that Turkey was trying to exploit that to try to trigger a U.S. intervention. And that is why, you know, Charles Glass, the veteran Middle East correspondent, he reported in Harper's uh, recently in a piece that came out last year, I believe, or maybe two years ago, that a U.S. ambassador told him that the red line that Obama laid down was basically an invitation to a false flag attack because it meant that if the militants in Syria who were losing the war could stage a chemical attack, that would bring the U.S. into the war. And it uh, further raising more doubts about whether or not the Syrian government was responsible. Ted Postel, who is one of the briefers who spoke at this meeting, he released a study that found that it was impossible for the Sir for the missile that delivered the sarin inside Ghouta to have been launched from government-controlled territory. He said that it had to have been delivered from militant-controlled territory. So regardless of what the truth is, and I don't claim to know what the absolute truth is there because, you know, these things are hard to investigate. The point is, for the French ambassador to claim that no one disputes this is just false. And the people that dispute this happen to include President Obama's director, of national intelligence, James Clapper, along with all the other evidence that I laid out. And there's a lot more. But let's get back to Duma, because that is the issue here. And that is the issue that these ambassadors continue to try to avoid. And the next ambassador to try to avoid Duma was Christoph Hulsgen, who is the German ambassador to the UN. And he accused Russia and China, which convened this meeting, and anybody else who tries to challenge the official narrative about Duma, he accused them of chutzpah. The uh, um, Yiddish language has a word that entered the English language, and one of the words that um, the English language has taken is chutzpah. Um, I know you all know what chutzpah means. And um, um, I think this is what um, best describes um, today's uh, event. Um, you know, as a German idealist, when I saw that, um, you know, we have the OPCW on the agenda, um, I thought, well, this is very good because now finally our Russian friends and um, I saw that uh, they are joined by our Chinese friends that they have now as an ambition to strengthen the um, chemical weapons um, convention that they want to support um, the OPCW, um, that they will jointly with us remind um, the Syrian regime 
um, that they have to comply with 2118 and that they have to cooperate also with the IIT. But um, when I read um, the um, concept note, I said that again, our idealism is, is not at the right place because um, again, what is the objective here? And, and there is what I say about chutzpah is that again, Russia and China are trying to um, undercut the credibility of the OPCW, trying to present alternative facts, um, trying to spread doubts um, in order again to undercut um, um, this. And this is unfortunately a Russian tactics um, that we have seen when they are caught um, or, or when their friends are caught of committing crimes or violating um, international law. Um, then they go into counter-offensive and trying to um, have um, um, you know, alternative uh, facts or alternative reasoning just to, and also defending, as I said, their, um, their friends. So that is the German ambassador to the UN. Similar comments to the others. He says that those challenging the Duma narrative, the official narrative that Syria committed a chemical attack in Duma, are trying to undercut the credibility of the OPCW, present alternative facts and spread doubts in order to undercut the OPCW again. There are no alternative facts here. There are the facts of the OPCW investigation that people like Ian Henderson, the actual OPCW investigator, are trying to present. And it's so telling that the German ambassador describes facts from the OPCW's own investigation as alternative facts. But that's the alternative reality that these people live in. Which takes us to the UK ambassador, Jonathan Allen. And where he differs is that while the other ambassadors pretty much avoided Ian Henderson entirely, Allen sort of addressed him, though not directly, in a very cowardly way. He took a, a passive-aggressive dig at Ian Henderson without naming him, but while still impugning him. And this is what he said. We've been presented with so-called evidence of OPCW malpractice by individuals who were not fully party to investigations, could not accept that their views were not backed by the evidence, and who then breached their confidentiality obligations to the OPCW. So that is UK Ambassador Jonathan Allen. And he's essentially saying that Ian Henderson, who is at this meeting and who took part in the investigation of the alleged Duma attack in Syria. He went to Syria. He visited key locations. He conducted the engineering study. He served for 12 years as a decorated OPCW official. He's saying that he's not credible, basically. That's what this UK ambassador is telling to Ian Henderson. He makes some reference to Henderson breaching his confidentiality obligation to OPCW. There was an inquiry earlier in 2020 accusing Henderson and Inspector B of breaching their, confidential, their confidentiality obligations. Notably, they did not accuse them of leaking anything. Rather, they accused them of sharing improperly, uh, improperly, improperly sharing information during the investigation, which is a, a long story, but you look at what they actually accuse them of, and it's essentially they're faulting these inspectors for trying to do their jobs and study the evidence that they collected, and then also for trying to raise alarm when they saw that the evidence was being ignored. That's essentially what the OPCW means when it accuses them of breaching their confidentiality obligations. But just note that he's insulting a actual OPCW inspector, but then claims somehow that he's a part of a government that is defending the OPCW. It's quite striking. He moves on to then attack uh, me and also Ted Postal, which is not as important because, you know, um, certainly me, I'm just a journalist. I don't have any scientific credentials. So it's fine if you want to attack me, but it's just such a chutzpah, to use a term we heard earlier, to attack Ian Henderson. But what he says about me and Postal is quite interesting. He tries to discredit me based on my Twitter account. He makes a reference to the fact that my Twitter somehow speaks to the credibility of my reporting. And he also takes a shot at Ted Postal as well. We've been subjected to lengthy conspiracy theories from journalists 
whose Twitter feed reveals all that council members need to know about the supposedly independent nature of their reporting, and from academics whose theories have been dismissed by their better qualified peers. So that's Jonathan Allen, the uh, British representative to the UN. I'm not sure what my Twitter account has to do with the reliability of my reporting. And certainly I'm not sure what it has to do with whether or not the OPCW was compromised and whether or not there was a gas attack in Douma, Syria. As I said to Jonathan Allen later on in the session when I had the chance to respond. There was a lot of comments today from certain member states that there is an effort here to denigrate the OPCW. I just want to echo Ian Henderson in saying that um, I'm not here to denigrate the OPCW. I'm here to defend the OPCW from exploitation. And it is telling that you have two veteran celebrated inspectors from the OPCW, one of whom is here today, Ian Henderson, coming to you with serious concerns, proposing a very simple proposal, which is that given the controversy, given the conflicting claims and facts, that these inspectors be granted the opportunity to meet with the director general and other OPCW officials, along with the rest of the Duma team who actually went to Syria And anybody who fails to support that proposal, I have to wonder about why. Uh, There was talk from the British ambassador, Ambassador Allen. He made reference to my Twitter account and said, for some reason, as if my Twitter account has some bearing on the reliability of my reporting. I'm flattered, Mr. Allen, that you pay attention to my Twitter account. I'm not sure what it has to do with whether or not the, the OPCW was compromised, but regardless, I would encourage you to, at minimum, pay as much attention to my Twitter feed as to the actual OPCW scientists who went to Syria, wrote a report, and had their report censored, and now want to present their findings to the OPCW in a transparent manner. So that was my response to UK Ambassador Jonathan Allen. And Ted Postal also had a chance to respond as well. Ted Postal For anybody who doesn't know who he is, he is a MIT professor emeritus, award-winning physicist, served as a former Pentagon advisor, very esteemed, and he was very upset at the conduct of the Western officials at the UN Security Council meeting, as he told them. I have not in my experience seen such a disservice to international law, as I have witnessed here today. The the UN is an important international vehicle for enforcing international law. And if you people are not interested in facts, then there can be no justice. Fooling around with these statements, which I'm very familiar with because I've seen them over many years, and not knowing your basic facts is just, um, I must say, I, I, I'm not trying to hide my outrage. And if I sound angry, I am. Because I believe in the UN. And I believe in the OPCW. And frankly, the way you guys have behaved today, I don't think you believe in those organizations. I'll stop here. So that was MIT Professor Emeritus Ted Postal. We end with the meetings most important speaker, and that is Ian Henderson, the veteran OPCW inspector, who has raised serious concerns about the censorship of his own investigation, who then was treated with insults by delegates of the countries that bombed Syria based on the allegations that Henderson's own team disputed. And Henderson could not hide his disappointment with the conduct of these officials, as he made clear. Um, This was uh, quite an eye-opener to me. Um, Far from be it my role to castigate the distinguished uh, excellencies, delegates, colleagues, but uh, I'd have to say I'm bitterly disappointed. Um, And uh, having been around for long enough, I did not necessarily expect anything different. Uh, There was no discussion. Um, It was um, a series of political statements and uh, from both sides, uh, uh, from my point of view, uh, propaganda. 
But uh, this is the world that we live in. This is the world that um, uh, I uh, was posed with in my time with the OPCW. My role here now is to defend the OPCW and the Technical Secretariat. I'd like to make that very clear. Uh, disinform disinformation campaigns, uh, discrediting the OPCW, this has got, from my point of view, nothing to do with that. Um, I notice that there is still, and there, since day one uh, on the Duma investigation, there has been no willingness or desire whatsoever to even contemplate the fact that there could be uh, some science, facts, and engineering um, that demonstrate an outcome contrary to the FFM reports. To this day, no one, not one person, other than attempts from some uh, anarchistic journalists, no one formally has approached me and said, uh, can you tell me your experience, what happened? With the exception of one. Uh, after the Duma FFM report was released, um, there was something of a crisis in the technical secretariat. Uh, this is prior to the uh, um, unkind leaking of my engineering report. So prior to that, we were deciding what to do. Um, I made it clear that the findings of the FFM report were not supported by science or engineering. And I can make that clear to anyone who is interested in that. I was then invited by a delegation <clears throat> from one of the Western states parties um, and I provided a full briefing. At the end of that briefing, the, uh, uh, the, the gentleman said, this is really serious. This is very big. Uh, it will certainly go higher. This will go very high. And then he said, by way of apology, he said, but of course you realize we won't be able to do anything about this. That's a situation I faced and I continue to face to this day. Out of all of the statements made today, um, I believe I'm the only one who has uh, spent a lot of time in Syria, including in Damascus and in Douma and other locations. I have had an involvement in all three of the uh, Syria operational missions, uh, the DAT, the SSRC, and the Duma FFM. Now, I don't want to be naive or overly cynical, but uh, I noticed that many of the political statements were uh, cut and paste, and uh, that's, that's the way things work. That's to be ex expected. But I, I do sympathize in a way uh, that's, that's your job. And I can understand the panic caused by the possibility that there is uh, clear science, engineering, facts and information that's calling to question the Duma FFM investigation. Why? Because that's the only one, the first and the only investigation where we, the OPCW inspectors, actually got to the site of the alleged incident. And we did our work. And I thank you for some of your commendations for the impartiality, the professionalism, and the uh, difficult work, often in dangerous circumstances. We did experience that in many missions, uh, including Duma. But we are apparently not included under that because the Duma FFM report was written by uh, one person who'd only been to Turkey and another who had not deployed uh, anywhere. Ian Henderson, the veteran OPCW inspector, 
who took part in the Duma investigation, speaking at the UN Security Council. Henderson went on to answer a question from one of the delegates about what could be done to fix the process, to, to fix the OPCW from its current state of being politically manipulated and exploited. This question, of course, did not come from a Western delegate. I believe it came from the delegate from the ambassador from Indonesia. And this was Henderson's response. Uh, and let's look at, try and get some positivity. What could be done to fix the situation? What did I experience that was clearly, in, in, in my view, a problem? It's not with the OPCW, it's not with the technical secretariat. It's a fantastic organization and there are hundreds of impartial, committed uh, staff members who've made it the su success that it is. However, in the Syria mission, uh, it has very clearly evolved into something different from what it should be. First of all, the Syria missions are run by a, a handful of, of staff who report to the office of the director general uh, through the chief of cabinet, who reports I'd have to say, uh, in my experience, through observation, uh, to some of the key Western delegations and um, obviously uh, uh, the, the US permanent representative plays a, a leading role in that. The first thing to fix is that the Syria missions need to be subjected to the same professional peer review as the rest of the work of the Technical Secretariat. This uh, single line of control through a uh, chief of cabinet, the former being British and the current French, uh, reporting directly to influential delegations cannot be allowed to, to persist. So that's the first thing to fix it. The second thing is the the reliance of the FFM and the, the GIM and the IIT on carefully selected external uh, experts who remain anonymous and whose work uh, is selectively cherry-picked by the FFM, IIT or, 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 or GIM uh, to serve the generation of a result that has generally, if not always, been the expression of an opinion from those individuals as to what they thought was the most likely uh, outcome. Hence the use of the words, it's reasonable to believe that this is the most likely uh, situation. And uh, hence the problem with, with Duma, where for the first time there is clear uh, a, a clear volume of scientific engineering and procedural uh, facts and information that will, will be used, can be used to prove otherwise. Which leads to the, th the third thing to fix is that these investigations in Syria need to have set a more re realistic minimum standard of evidence, and I put evidence in inverted commas. This is information, uh, data, uh, materials, open source or whatever. And these minimum standards need to be supported by science and it's transparent science, not these selective excerpts from opinions provided by carefully selected uh, um, anonymous experts. I think I've, I've probably said more than I should already. And my request remains out there. Don't believe me, but just take it seriously enough to believe, as was the case in Iraq in 2002. I had a lighthearted bet um, uh, on Iraq. Uh, my view was, no, sanity will prevail. 
we in the uh, WMD in, uh, intelligence information area, we know what's, what, the, what the case is, and it must prevail, it must get through at some stage. I lost the bet because uh, it didn't. And uh, I, I hate to say I see the same sort of thing happening now. But um, uh, again, as I said, the lockdown is, has become impenetrable and uh, it probably will remain that way. And finally, Ian Henderson ended with some actual new news, which I had not heard before in the leaks that have come out about this Duma scandal. Henderson spoke about something called the debt, which is basically a mechanism inside the OPCW that was established to oversee Syria's destruction of chemical weapons after the Ghouta attacks of August 2013. Because what happened was, after Syria was accused of this chemical attack in Ghouta, then you had Obama threatening to bomb Syria, and he came very close until, as I mentioned before, Jim Clapper came to him and said, this is not a slam dunk, which we found out much later. But at the time, Obama made this threat, and then he pulled back, and then Russia offered this way out, where Russia proposed that the U.S. and Russia and the OPCW work together to destroy all of Syria's chemical weapons. And that process came about under a mechanism known as the debt. And Ian Henderson was at the OPCW at the time and was privy to some of the discussions around it. And he dropped some interesting news where he basically said that as the OPCW was overseeing this file, overseeing the destruction of serious chemical weapons, for which, by the way, it won a Nobel Peace Prize, as I talked about in my remarks, that Ian Henderson saw that there was talk of keeping the file open no matter what Syria did, with the obvious implication, if you listen to his remarks carefully, that the OPCW or people inside the OPCW were being told to keep it open as a way to keep pressure on Syria and that this could be used for political uses against Syria if the file was open and if Syria continued to be under pressure, which means continue to be suspected of harboring chemical weapons. And as I said, the lockdown is, has become impenetrable and uh, it probably will remain that way. So what, what, one or two final remarks. When I reviewed the DAT dossier uh, during the preparation for the first inspections of the SSRC, um, having been around for much longer than many other people, having been in the starting uh, group of team leaders in the Secretariat in 1997, we were faced with all of the initial declarations from the possessor states. The, the, the level of uh, inconsistencies, discrepancies in their declarations, I found to be roughly the same as the questions I saw having been raised in the, uh, by the DAT uh, on the uh, Syrian uh, uh, declarations. There were mistakes. There were things that should have been uh, declared and were only declared under pressure, such as the Ryson program. Um, and there, there were some aspects about um, the pinacolol alcohol and soman uh, detected in the SSRC. But uh, none of these reached the level that would have, in the early days, had triggered this um, this years of, uh, of, of questioning and to and fro on these so-called uh, inconsistencies, um, omissions in the declaration. I will share with you some of the wording that was used by various people in the Secretariat uh, in reference to uh, the, the DATS dossier. The wording was, keep the file open. That was the, the, the primary thing. Keep the file open, keep the pressure on. 
Now, I'm not going to pretend I have the political nous to interpret exactly what that meant, who it was raised by, but uh, that uh, in the absence of, of any progress I see being made, um, I think I'll leave that, that thought with you. Thank you. So that's Ian Henderson breaking some news that the debt, the mechanism that oversaw Syria's destruction of chemical weapons, in a really a towering moment for world peace, it was the U.S. and Russia working together to destroy an entire chemical weapons arsenal after coming just so close to war, to Obama launching strikes on Syria. So here's Ian Henderson saying that he picked up talk in the OPCW that this DAT file was going to be used for pressuring Syria and for possible political exploitation to falsely accuse Syria of chemical attacks. That's what I took from his words there. And it certainly speaks to, it's a new claim of political manipulation at the OPCW. So that was the meeting. And there there were a whole lot more comments from other delegates as well, which we did not get to. It was interesting to hear China be so supportive of hearing the evidence. And I think the fact that China helped convene this meeting along with Russia, it wasn't just Russia. I think it speaks to the geopolitical situation that we're in right now. And I think partly why we're hearing increased fear mongering and demonization of China. Because China at fora such as this, such as the UN Security Council, on such a vital issue as challenging narratives that justify US-led bombings of sovereign governments like Syria. The fact that China is being involved with this, I think, speaks to why it's coming under increasing hostility from the bipartisan US establishment. And there are many other governments there that voice support for a transparent scientific process. Nicaragua, Venezuela, Cuba, I mean, all these countries that are outside of the sphere of US influence. And that what was so striking to me about participating in this and by the way, if you want to see my comments, they're at thegrayzone.com, and we'll link to this. We'll link to that in this segment as well, as well as Ted Postal's comments. But it was so fascinating to witness how all this works up close that here you have, you know, forget me, forget even Ted Postal if you want to ignore all his credentials, but you have an actual OPCW investigator alleging wrongdoing. And these people couldn't be less interested in hearing what he had to say. And not only that, they felt comfortable denigrating him and accusing him of spreading disinformation and not having evidence when, again, he was a part of the team that collected the evidence and that did the studies. So it was a fascinating window into how this works, where governments that have power dictate the narrative and everybody else who is in their orbit falls a line, falls in line. And it's also fascinating as a member of the media to witness this dynamic repeated in the media because try to find a place that has reported on this story, except for the Gray Zone or Consortium News or Mint Press or Antiwar.com or the World Socialist website. In the U.S., aside from that, you don't see anybody else reporting on that, which means that media outlets across the spectrum... By the way, actually, sorry, I'm wrong. Fox News actually reported on this. Fox News has done some story on, some stories on this. Tucker Carlson has done something and, and foxnews.com also has followed up on it. So which is crazy because Fox News then has done a better job of covering this than the New York Times, the Washington Post, or say The Intercept or Democracy Now!, which have basically completely ignored this story. And you have this dynamic right now, as we saw at the UN, where the US government sets a narrative and everybody falls in line. They fall in line by ignoring the whistleblowers, ignoring their evidence, and by denigrating them. And it was depressing to see it up close, but also not surprising. It's just how the world works, as Ian Henderson said in his remarks. There will be more developments on the story, though, because it is not going away. These inspectors are principled people who saw up close that their investigation was compromised. Their reputations have been defamed. And they are determined to defend both their own name and the name of their organization, one that they both served for more than 25 years combined with 
extreme dedication and high professionalism to much acclaim, as I mentioned earlier. So this story is not going away. I know that there are more meetings of this planned at the UN Security Council with Russia and China determined to keep this on the agenda. And the question is, I don't expect any of these Western delegates to suddenly transform and become open to hearing the evidence. But will the U.S. media, including supposed adversarial sites like The Intercept and Democracy Now!, that have ignored this story, will they continue to ignore this story? Because again, we're talking about a huge issue where you have, it's basically Iraq WMDs, except with whistleblowers. You have people on the inside of the OPCW saying that this investigation was compromised under U.S. pressure and that the U.S. bombed Syria along with Britain and France on false grounds. So as this story continues, we'll see whether or not more people will finally break the sound barrier and cover it. We certainly will continue to cover it here at the Gray Zone, including very more soon in the coming days. Thanks for joining me on Pushback. Mm -hmm.